Well, howdy. howdy. All right. Hey, uh, my name is Timothy Atik. I'm the director of Breakaway Ministries here in College Station. And uh, I'm so glad to get to be here and share this morning. My wife, Catherine, our three boys, and I, we call Grace Southwood our church home. And so I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to serve uh, my church home this morning. I just want to invite you real quick. Uh, let's pray one more time. And uh, I just want to ask you to pray in the quietness of your own heart this morning and just ask God to speak to you. We're opening up his word right now. And as we open up his word, we're opening his mouth. And so would you just pray real quick and say, God, would you speak to me this morning? And then would you take a second and pray for me and just ask that God would use me in your life this morning. Just say, God, would you speak to me today through TA? Lord, thanks for what you want to say to us. God, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was a student here at A&M, my friends and I, we decided to try out for this very selective organization. And the way that things would go out for this organization, there was all of these different tryout events. And so my friends and I, we would load up in a car and we would go to these different events. And at these events, um, there were about 200 students trying out for 30 to 40 spots. Someone would get up, make an announcement, and all the members in this organization would stand around the room. And then these 200 people would scatter and get in line to talk to these different members. And so it wasn't uncommon for you to spend more time standing in line to talk to a member than to actually talk to a member uh, in this organization. And so as I was standing in these lines to talk to these members, I couldn't help but look out at my competition, because that's what the other 199 students were. They were my competition. And as I looked at my competition, I couldn't help but compare myself to my competition. So I'd look out and be like, okay, well, that guy's a dork and I'm not. So I'd probably get in before he does. And, uh, that guy's jacked and I'm not at, I'm not jacked. So I don't know if that's going to be a determining factor, but if it is, that probably is going to work out for him and not me. Okay. Well, that student just talked to that member for like 30 minutes. And our conversation was over in like three minutes. I don't know if that's a good thing, but I'm thinking no. And then my friends and I, we would get in the car afterward and we'd just debrief. Okay. How did it go for you? How many people did you talk to? What do you think your chances are of getting in? And after all the trial events were over, I will never forget, I made my way to the MSC to pick up this very envelope. And I don't know what the psychology is behind me still having this envelope from about 18 years ago, but I do have it. And I went to the MSC to pick up this envelope, which had a letter in it that would tell me if I was going to get into the organization or not. I won't read you the whole letter. I'll just read you the most important part of the letter. It says this. Unfortunately, okay, let me just stop right there. <laughs> if you're picking up a letter that's going to tell you if something's going to happen or not, that's not a word you want in your letter. That's free of charge. That's just some advice. But anyway, unfortunately, the nature of what this organization is founded upon requires that this process be selective at this time. We must inform you that you have not been selected. So I remember standing outside the MSC and I read my letter and right after I finished my, my letter, I looked up and I saw one of my other friends who had gone through the process with me reading his letter 
And his response to his letter was way different than my response to my letter. Like I can still see his face in my mind. And I just remember him gripping his letter with both hands. And as he read it, he closed his eyes and he smiled because he had gotten in. And in that moment, I still remember thinking, of course he got in. Like, of course he got in. He's more connected than I am. He's more likable than I am. He was enough for them and I wasn't. And the reason I share this with you is because I want to talk this morning about this idea of our enoughness. Like, I don't know if you realize this, but rattling deep down inside of every soul in this room is this haunting question. And it's the question, am I enough? I don't know if you know this, but that question actually drives so much of how you live. Are you enough? And the reality is that I believe every person in this room is acquainted with the feeling of not being enough. Maybe no one's actually handed you a physical letter, but it feels like someone has. Maybe it feels like a mom or dad has, in a sense, handed you a letter just saying, hey, I regret to inform you, you are actually not enough for me. Maybe it feels like an ex-spouse or an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend has, in a sense, handed you a letter just saying, hey, I just need you to know that you are not enough for me. Maybe a former employer or maybe it's a former friend group has, in a sense, handed you a letter just saying, let's just be clear, you are not enough for me. And it's a haunting feeling to feel as if you're not enough. And so, so many of us have had those experiences in our lives and now we're driven by this question, am I truly enough in this world? Now, what I need you to understand is that there's different forces at play in our lives that actually call into question our enoughness. And what I want to do is I want to target what I believe is the single greatest force at play in our lives that calls into question our enoughness. It's the force of comparison. There's no greater force at play in our lives that calls into question our enoughness than the force of comparison. And what I need you to realize is that we compare like we breathe. We do it without even thinking about it. But the consequences of uh, comparison, the overflow of comparison into our lives is things like insecurity and low self-esteem, low self-worth, anxiety, depression, and for some even suicide. It, like it's not an exaggeration for me to say that comparison can ruin your life. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is open up the word of God and study the life of King Saul. Because I don't know if you know this, but comparison was actually the match that lit King Saul's life on fire and burned it to the ground. And so I want you to know that there is a better way to do life today. And that's what this message is all about. It's all about fighting for our joy. It's about me calling us to be a people who can come to a place where we just say, you know what, enough with being enough. And it starts with us just being willing to say, you know what, enough with comparison. And so if you want to fight for your joy today, would you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18 as we look at the life of King Saul. If you're a college student here this morning and you've heard this talk before, let me just tell you, I'm excited for how God's going to speak to you in a new way through it this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 18. 
And before we start reading in verse 6, when you get to 1 Samuel 18, just look up at me and let me just make sure that we're all on the same page. We're talking about King Saul. If King Saul doesn't really light up on your radar, if you don't have any clue who he is, he was the first ever king of the nation of Israel. And he was a mediocre king. We know that because God basically told him that he was a mediocre king. And so God comes to Saul and says, I'm going to replace you with a better king. And we now know that that king was David. And so uh, we are picking up the story in 1 Samuel 18, which is right after the story where David conquers a Goliath, a, a giant named Goliath. The way that that story played out was the The nation of Israel, led by King Saul, showed up to this battle against the Philistines. This giant named Goliath emerges from their ranks. And Saul trembles in fear. Then this teenage boy with a sling and a stone shows up and he moves forward with faith. And he drops this giant with a sling and a stone. So we pick it up in 1 Samuel 18 right after David and Saul come back from conquering Goliath. And here's what it says, starting in verse 6. It says this, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. That's the comparison. These women begin to sing a song where they compare David and Saul. Now Saul is going to internalize it and compare himself. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. Watch what he says. They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And now his his life begins to unravel, and Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spear from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within the house. While David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. Now my favorite phrase in the whole text. But David evaded him twice. Like David came back after a spear was thrown at him once. Okay, maybe I just think that's interesting. Okay, verse 12. Saul was afraid. You guys apparently have spears hurled at you all the time, and it's no big deal. You just come back. Okay, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Isn't it interesting that a king struggled with comparison? Here's a king who has massive amounts of wealth, massive amounts of power and prestige, yet he struggled with comparison. Now, if it's possible for a king to struggle with comparison, don't you think it's possible for you to struggle with comparison? As I was preparing for this talk, I shot up and out of my bed at two o'clock in the morning because our home security alarm began to blare. And as I shot up and out of my bed and stood on the floor in the fog of just snapping out of sleep. The question that I had to answer in that moment was this, did someone just break into my house to steal from me? And the reason that I even share that with you is because of what Theodore Roosevelt says about comparison. Do you know what he says? He says this, comparison is the thief of joy. 
Now, I want you to think about that. If comparison is a thief, then the question that you need to answer is this. Has comparison broken into the house of my soul to steal from me? I believe that the answer to that question is yes. So the first key truth that you need to know when dealing with comparison is this. Wake up, you're getting robbed. That's it. Wake up, you are getting robbed. I mean, tell me you don't struggle with comparison. Tell me you don't ever compare looks. Do you ever compare looks? Do you ever compare weight? Do you ever compare capacity? Do you ever compare like jobs or um, do you ever compare children like your kids' behavior to other people's kids' behavior? Do you ever compare spouses? Do you ever compare your marriage to other people's marriages? Like some of you married people, like you had a great fight on the way to church this morning because that's when great fights happen is on the way to church. And so you guys fought and then, it's, I mean, you, you got things together and you've walked in here and you've been smiling, but inside you're like, man, if you just, you know, and you're looking around, you're like, okay, well, those people probably didn't fight on the way to, I mean, if she could just be more like that, you know, and you've begun to compare. Do you ever compare relationship status? Do you ever compare post-graduation plans? Do you ever compare uh, student organization involvement? Do you ever look at how many followers on Instagram you have compared to how many other followers other people have? Do you ever compare likability? Like you look at how some people uh, interact with one person, then you look at how they interact with you, and you're like, they seem to like them more than they like me. Or what about this? Do you ever compare perceived godliness like you look at people, even in church this morning, you're looking around and some people are just, they're getting after it and you're like, okay, they're more into this than I am. Or like you sit around in prayer groups and you got the mer in the prayer. It's like, mm. it's like, okay, they must really enjoy praying. I don't like praying as much. They're like, that's good. That, is it good? Like I'm not even tuned in right now. Do you ever compare perceived godliness? We struggle with comparison. Whether you'll admit it or not. And so, if comparison is a thief, then one of the best things that you can do this morning is just identify who, what, and when. Like, answer that. Who, what, and when. As I was preparing for this talk, I was also in the market for a new iPhone. And so, uh, I got on Apple's website to just compare different iPhone models. I want to show you the process uh, that I went through just to compare different iPhone models. So here's what I did. I went to Google, and I typed in apple.com, went to Apple's website. And as I said, I wanted to compare iPhone models, and so I went to the top, and I just clicked on the iPhone tab. And I'll just say this. If you're looking to compare iPhone models, it's really helpful that on their website, right over on the right-hand side, there is a tab called Compare. And so I clicked on Compare. And what did it do? Is It brought up a side-by-side-by-side comparison of three different iPhone models. And I was able to scroll down and it compared all the different specifications between three of the iPhone models. Now, you can take the video down because I doubt, I mean, you guys are in the know on iPhones and the last thing you need to do is figure that out here in church. But um, I looked at that and uh, here's the thought that I had. Like, what if I could click on a compare tab of your life? Like if anyone in this room could just walk up to your life and hit a compare tab, like what would we see? Who would show up on your side-by-side-by-side comparison? Who do you tend to compare yourself to? That's good for you to identify. Because who you compare yourself to is different than who I compare myself to. 
So who is it in your life? Is it one of your siblings? Is it one of your frenemies? Like they're one of your besties, but they're also your enemy because you kind of got this competition thing going on with them? Is it some acquaintance? Is it someone in your fraternity or sorority? It might be someone and you don't even know their name. You just pass by each other like y'all have the same schedule. You pass each other on campus. Or maybe you see someone on a regular basis at the gym. You don't even know their name, but you look at what they have going on and you look at what you have going on and you're like, there's a difference here. And you compare. Who is it for you? And then answer the question, what? Like, what are the specifications on your side-by-side-by-side comparison? What do you tend to compare? Answer that question that will tell you what you value most. So what are you comparing? Are you comparing looks? Are you comparing weight? Are you comparing jobs? Are you comparing uh, material possessions? Are you comparing salary? Are you comparing uh, spouses? Are you comparing your kids' behavior? Are you comparing likability? Are you comparing perceived godliness? What do you tend to compare? Now, I will answer the question when for you all the time. Social media is the greatest source of comparison that we have in the world today. For many of us, social media marks the bookends of our days. It's the first thing we check when we get up in the morning. It's the last thing that we see before we close our eyes and go to bed. Now, if social media is the bookends, I'm led to believe it shows up at all different parts of our days. Answer the question, who, what, and I'm telling you when. Wake up you're getting robbed. The second key truth that you need to know when dealing comparison, dealing with comparison is this. Comparison feeds on er and as. No one's saying amen to that. That probably means I need to explain it. Okay, I'll say it one more time. Comparison feeds on er and as. Look back at 1 Samuel 18. Verse 6. Let me just read it for you one more time. It says this. As they were coming home... <clears throat> When David returned from striking down the Philistine, watch this, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. Now verse 8, Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. He said they've ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but... The kingdom. Okay, let me ask you this. Um, Women came out of the town singing songs to who? King Saul. Women came out of the town playing tambourines for who? King Saul. Men, let me ask you, when's the last time a woman played the tambourine for you? (laughs) Never. Why? Because you're not important enough for a woman to play the tambourine for you. But Saul was. Saul was extremely significant. He was king. So what I need you to realize is that when these women begin to sing this song, they're not trying to slap their king on the side of the face. No, they're actually declaring that their king is a conquering king. What do they say? Saul has struck down his thousands. They are declaring that he is a great king. Where did the problem come in? The problem came in in the fact that Saul didn't just want to be great. He wanted to be greater. Philosopher and psychologist John Dewey once said this. He said, the deepest urge in human nature is the desire to feel important. 
Do you realize that? That's one of the deepest desires in your soul. It's the desire to feel important. And one of the ways that that desire gets fleshed out in our life is this need that Pastor Andy Stanley says, he he identifies it as our need for the er factor. That we look at the people around us and we need to know that we are smart er, strong er, funny er, skinny er, pretty er, wealthy er, godly er, successful er than the people around us. Like I'll never forget being at the gym, running on the treadmill several years ago and God just slapped me on the side of the head. He didn't speak to me audibly, but he spoke clearly. And what did he say? He said, T.A., you need everyone around you to be a nobody so that you can feel like a somebody. What was he doing? He was targeting my need for the er factor. And some of you here are like, yeah, I get it. Okay, busted. You're speaking right at me. Like I look at the people around me and I just need to be better. Like I need to be smarter. I need to be funnier. I need to be prettier. I need to be successful-er. I need to be godlier than the people around me. But then others of you are like, that's not me. Like I I don't feel that. For you, it might not be as much the need for the er factor as it is the need for the as factor. See, what you've done is you've decided in your own mind what the ideal is in this world. And so here's how you operate. You go through life saying, you know what, if I could just be as pretty as that person, if I could just be as skinny as that person, if I could just be as funny as that person, if I could just be as smart as that person, if I could just be as successful as that person, if I could just be as wealthy as that person, if my marriage could just be as synced up as that marriage there, if I could just be as godly as that person, then I would truly be enough. Let me just identify one problem with the earth factor and one problem with the as factor. The problem with the earth factor is that while you will always have the earth factor over people in your life, people in your life will always have the earth factor over you. And if there's no one in your life right now that has the earth factor over you, just wait. They'll be in your life soon enough. And when you realize that someone is better, funnier, skinnier, prettier, you know what happens is it will just spin you back into that exhausting cycle of wanting to be enough but feeling like you're not. The problem with the as factor is that perception isn't reality. Perfection is an illusion. Perfection is an illusion. Let's just get real. There's nothing instant about Instagram. Like we all need two or three takes before we post on our story. And if you're not taking two to three takes, you're an embarrassment. All right. (laughs) Just joking. But seriously. And just think when you do post a a photo, the rare times that you're not posting to your story, but you actually post a photo now, what hashtag do we sometimes use? Hashtag no filter. It's like we're saying, hey, everything else I post is a lie. It's fabricated. Like, I've had to doctor it up. I've cropped. But this picture, no filter, baby. Like, this is me. This is reality. It's an illusion. Perfection is an illusion. But you know what happens is we go through life comparing our unfiltered lives to other people's filtered feeds. And it creates all sorts of discontentment and insecurity inside of us. What if we realize that perfection is an illusion? Let me just illustrate it this way. 
Some of y'all have seen this before, but this is the Atik family Christmas card. And I wish that, you know what, here's what we'll do. At the end of the service, we'll just start a line, and y'all can just kind of parade by. I want you to be able to see this, because you need to see my awesome family. Like, we're amazing. Like, sometimes we're amazed at how amazing we actually are. Like, I don't know, you can't, I mean, it's just kind of a collage of pictures. You're like, no, that's, oh, that's cute, sweet. Bam, like, we're not even, we haven't even gotten started here, people. I mean, this is Kat and I, we're clearly a smoking hot couple just dominating our mid to late 30s. Um, This is Noah. Noah's in third grade and crushing it. He's incredible. If you have a third grader, you haven't met Noah. All right. That's great. That's cute. But okay. That's Andrew. He's in first grade. And the man in first grade. And as if that wasn't enough, there's baby Jake on the back. And, like, he's literally days away from a baby modeling contract. Like, we, we haven't gotten the call yet. We feel like our contact information's gotten lost. But, like, this is perfection, people. Like, if you need something to evaluate your life to, here it is. Okay, now, okay, let's just be real. Do you want to know, do you want to know what was happening on either side of the button being pressed <laughs> to take our pictures? On the front side, I was all over my boys. Get off the ground. Like, stop running off into the forest. Stop messing around with each other. Stop tilting your head a weird way. Look at the camera and smile. Don't judge me for talking to my kids like that. You talk to your kids like that, too, when you're trying to take Christmas pictures. You know what was happening on the other side of the button being pressed? Well, we took the pictures in like 20 mile an hour winds and something flew into the eye of baby Jake who was two months old at the time and it necessitated a thousand dollar visit to the ER. The good news, well, let me put it this way. Some of you are our friends and you're like, you guys sent out a Christmas card? I didn't get your Christmas card. Are we not that close? Uh, That's not the Atik 2018 Christmas card. That's the 2017 Christmas card. There is no 2018 Christmas card because we still haven't finished sending out the 2017 one. We're about halfway through the rest are in a box in our closet because we're crushing life right now. Perfection is an illusion. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but what if the person that you think has it all feels like they're lacking something? Like what if the person that you're sitting there saying, you know, if I could just be as whatever as that person, what if they're sitting there looking at someone else saying, if I could just be as whatever as that person? See, comparison feeds on earth and as. The, the third key truth that you need to know when dealing with comparison is this. Comparison has terrible side effects. It has terrible side effects. You know those uh, medicine commercials? Like if you're a college student, if it's not on Netflix or YouTube, you haven't seen it, okay? But for the people in the room that still watch like real-life television, you know those medicine commercials where it's like got this really inspirational music and people are like laughing with their friends or like noogging their dog or like sitting in a 
on a beach next to her significant other in bathtubs, and you're like, where those bathtubs come from? Like, did you bring those? Did you just stumble upon them and get into them? Did you sanitize it? Anyway, um, at the end of those commercials is what? There's that soft, soothing voice that tells you the side effects, right? So it's like, talk to your doctor before using this medication. Using it can cause nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, demon possession, or even death. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, wow. What are they saying? They're saying it doesn't matter how good you think this medicine will be. There can be terrible side effects. And I'm telling you, I don't care what you think comparison will accomplish for you. Comparison can have terrible side effects. You look at the life of King Saul. I don't have time to go back. We read we read these verses, but in verse 8, what do you see? Comparison-fueled anger. Verse 9, comparison-fueled suspicion and paranoia. Verse 12, comparison-caused fear. And if you were to keep reading Saul's life, you know what you would see? You would see that he gave the rest of his life trying to kill a guy that was fighting wars for him, not against him, David. He lost the respect of his son, his daughter, and all of his men, and in the end, he committed suicide. Comparison had terrible side effects in Saul's life, and it will have terrible side effects in your life. Let me just clue you into some of the side effects that are possible with comparison. Number one, competition. Comparison fuels competition and starves connection. It ruins relationships. Number two, pride. You'll look for people that you are better than to feel better about yourself. Envy. You'll wish that you had a little bit less of what God has given you and a little bit more of what he's given someone else. Anxiety, because you will consistently feel like you aren't doing enough. Exhaustion, because you will never be able to actually do enough. Resentment, you will resent other people's successes because you believe that their success makes you a failure. And you will resent God for not giving you more of what others have. Unhealthy gratification, you will inwardly celebrate people's failures because it will make you feel more like a success. And then last, dishonesty, you'll live a lie. It's called smiling depression, where you act happy and self-assured, even when in reality you are sad and stressed out. All eyes on me. If you're exhibiting any of these symptoms, please see my first point, wake up, you're getting robbed. The last key truth that I need you to know when dealing with comparison is simply this. The cross of Jesus Christ does what comparison can't. The cross of Jesus Christ does what comparison can't. Let me just be open and honest with you guys and just share how this talk is very personal for me. About three years ago, um, I sat at breakfast with the former director of Breakaway, Ben Stewart. My wife and I sat at breakfast with him, and here's what Ben said. He said, hey, uh, we're leaving Breakaway, we're going to Passion, and I want you to become the next director of Breakaway. And that was a really surreal moment for me, because Breakaway had been such a significant part of my college experience. So there was so much uh, excitement at the thought of getting to come back to College Station to be a part of breakaway. And there were so many people who were excited for us during that season. We had people calling us and texting us and just cheering us on. But it also like awakened this socially awkward gene in people. So I remember speaking at this event in Austin and I just preached my heart out. And right after I finished, right after I said I'm in, I stepped down the stairs just kind of like these and this guy met me at the bottom. He was like, hey, you're taking over breakaway? I was like, yeah. He was like, Man, Ben Stewart is such an amazing speaker. I was like, Ben's not here right now. Can I take a message? Like, I didn't know what to say. 
I was speaking at another event in Alabama, and this guy came up to me. He's like, hey, you're taking over Breakaway? I was like, yeah. He's like, man, you've got big shoes to fill. I had a lot of people talk to me about shoes. They're like, I, I mean, multiple people here were saying, man, you've got big shoes to fill. And then I came to Breakaway, and there were students who were saying, you know what, Breakaway's not cool anymore. Ben's left. It's just not cool anymore. I can't go anymore. And so it did something weird because here's the crazy thing. Like Ben's one of my good friends and I firmly believe that Ben is one of, if not the best communicator in our nation. And I'm great with that. And Ben's one of the best sources of wisdom that I have in my life. But it, it, something happened. Enough comments got to me in comparison, broke into the house of my soul and began to steal from me. So during my first semester here in College Station, each Tuesday when I got onto that stage, I felt like I was stepping onto an audition stage where I was auditioning for the approval of people who missed Ben, wishing he was still there. It was so weird. Like it caused resentment in me towards one of my close friends. Because I looked at Ben's success and I thought that his success dictated my failure. But things are different now. Things are different. Ben and I are closer than we've ever been. Like he's come back and spoken at Breakaway. He will come back again and speak. I've gone and spoken at his church the last two years for the Passion Conference. I've flown to D.C. just to be with him and cheer him on. As far as I know, Ben took all of his shoes with him, and so I'm not trying to fill his shoes. Because I realized, like, God didn't ask me to come here to be Ben 2.0. He's asked me to come here and just be, be me. And I think the difference, the thing that's made the change, the reason I've been able to turn the corner is that I've begun to realize that the cross of Jesus Christ does what comparison can't. So maybe you're here this morning and you're just saying, you know what, I'm enough with being enough. If you want to turn the corner, if you want to say enough with comparison, you know where it has to start? It has to start with you answering the question, why do you even compare in the first place? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, have you ever just stopped and thought, why do I even compare myself to other people anyway? Let me just answer that question for you. A guy named Leon Festinger, all the way back in the 1950s, popularized the social comparison theory. And what does he say? He says that we determine our own social and personal worth based on how we stack up against others. Do you want to know why you compare? Because you're trying to figure out how much you're worth. You're wondering just how valuable you are in this world. So here's how it works. If someone has the air factor over you, they're more valuable than you are. But if you have the er factor over someone else, then you're worth more than them. If you have the as factor at play in your life, then you are at least as valuable as someone else. You know what the problem is? The problem is that this world is constantly changing what it values. So as long as you're running to fickle people in this world to tell you how much you're worth, you need to know that your value will fluctuate on a daily basis. But if you want to turn the corner and say enough with being enough, then it's going to start by you looking elsewhere for your value. I want to challenge you to look to the cross of Jesus Christ. What does Peter say about the cross? 
First Peter 1 verses 18 and 19 says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it wasn't paid with mere gold or silver, which what? Which lose their value. He's implying that, there's, you, the, he's implying that you were actually purchased with something that doesn't lose its value. What were you bought with? It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. If you hear anything this morning, hear this. This is why the cross of Jesus Christ is central to Christianity because on that cross, God the Father, when he placed his son on the cross and poured out his wrath upon him, he was declaring your value. And when Jesus Christ, who wasn't a victim but a volunteer, got up on that cross and was crucified for your sin and mine, he was declaring something. What was God the Father declaring? He was declaring, this is what you're worth to me. You are valued at the body and blood of my son. That's what you're worth to me. That's what I will give to have you. It's not that we had value and Jesus has given us more value. No, God has taken us who have no value and he's given us incredible value through his son, Jesus Christ. This is the good news of Christianity. You don't have to be enough for God because Jesus Christ has come and been enough for you. So when he got on the cross, he was saying, this is what you're worth. My body was broken to say, you're worth my body. My blood was shed to declare, you're worth my blood. This is what you're worth to me. You are valued at the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Here's why that's such good news. Because your value isn't something you have to run out into the world to earn. It's something that you can freely receive today through faith. You know what the crazy thing is? The crazy thing is that every single day we are frantically running out into the world, begging the world for what we already have freely in Jesus Christ. So I'll just close by saying this. You know what? All throughout your life, it's going to feel like people are handing you letters. All throughout your life, you're going to have people who in one way or another are communicating to you, hey, I just need you to know, I regret to inform you that you are not enough for me. Here's the good news. The good news is that we have another letter written by the God of the universe to our hearts. And so I'll just close with a question. The God of the universe is speaking into your life this morning, and here's what he's saying. You are enough for me. So here's the question. If the God of the universe is speaking to you this morning, saying you are enough for me, then the question that you need to answer is this. Will that be enough for you? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we were bought with a price. You took our lives which had no value. There's nothing that we bring to you which makes us valuable to you. And yet you've sent your son into the world. You, Jesus, came. You left heaven and came to earth. You died the death we deserved to die. You took our sin You rose from the dead so that we who put our faith in you could experience new life with you. And now we have incredible value through faith. And our value is cemented. It doesn't change 
No matter where we've been or what we've done, our value is cemented that we are worth Jesus to you, God. So I just pray that that would do something to us. I pray that we wouldn't just hear this and walk out and be like, okay, well, I need to compare less. God, may we leave here and not just say we need to compare less. May we leave here rejoicing at our value to you. May that do something to us, to know that you look at us and feel joy and delight in us because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great week.